Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hi there, everybody. Bridget McGowan here. Welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. Today, I have with me Diana L. Howells. Diana, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Diana, how did you get into public speaking? How did your career as a professional speaker get started? Well, you know, I was always really interested in speaking. I think my first speech, I was in sixth grade, and I remember being scared of it. But then I delivered it on this comedian, and I had so much fun with it that I thought, this is really kind of fun. And so I actually went on competing in forensics for years and I uh, com- competed nationally. And then I ended up studying it in school, got a degree degrees in speaking and then started doing it professionally because I just loved it. And so um, eventually that grew into even doing training and virtual presentations. And so um if I were to describe myself in one word, I would say speaker. Now, you spoke about a comedian in sixth grade. Did you choose your subject matter or your topic or was it assigned to you? How did you land on that topic? <laughs> well, my I think my parents really influenced me because they used to watch Bob Hope, who was the comedian back then. And, yeah. you know, he would do these live presentations, right, for the military. And so I did it on Bob Hope. I researched him. And so my opening as a sixth grader, I think, was telling jokes like he did. And then at the end, I think I sang his thanks for the memories, you know, but it was just so much fun between me and the audience that that's when I got hooked. And I thought this is really fun. So it's interesting that your parents influenced your subject matter for that first presentation back in sixth grade. Now, what would you say influences what you speak on today? You know, so my dad actually went on to really influence me even more too, Bridget. He would, he used to take me to professional speakers. I remember him taking me to watch Zig Ziglar, for example, and then he would talk to me about, did you notice how he got down on his knees? Did you notice how he started in the center of the stage as a strong point? Did you notice how he, and so I I was kind of coached by my father and even like watched my father speak too. But to answer your question, as I transitioned later into life, I did start to, I got involved in training and virtual training and that field. And so I really speak a lot on virtual training or live mixed learning where you have both on-site and on, um, online learners together and also on-camera presence. So those are really my topics today. Which do you prefer, in-person or online and why? I enjoy them both. They're very different mediums. And so, you know, I do recognize, and I'm sure our listeners recognize as well, that we have to adapt, right, given the medium. So I love the in-person energy of being on stage or being with people, of course, that dynamic energy and that real live interchange, which I know you enjoy too, Bridget. And I've seen you present in person and you are phenomenal. Uh, The online audience, I enjoy that too, just because of the challenge of reaching out across the world through this technology venue. And 
adapting, right, to be still conversational, to still bring people in in different ways, to um, be inclusive and participatory in different ways, because now you're using chat, you're opening the mic, uh, it's it, you're on screen. So um, both mediums, I think, have appeal. We just have to be agile and adapt. I agree completely. I like you enjoy different aspects of both in-person and online presenting. I think my favorite part about online presenting, and this is probably the case with everybody is you get to wear pajamas. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, No no one's the wiser, right? You just keep a blazer in the office and yeah, (laughs) that's That's right. We say professional on top, but you can be barefoot and super comfy from the waist down. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. There you go. Diana L. Howells, MA, is an award-winning speaker, author, and global virtual trainer who brings more than 20 years of experience in the learning industry. As a world-class speaker, Diana has trained Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 companies, and she has facilitated virtual programs in more than a dozen countries. Diana is currently CEO of Howells Associates. She received her master's degree from Colorado State University in speech communication and rhetoric. And she is the author of the new book, Next Level Virtual Training, Advance Your Facilitation, available on Amazon. Tell me, what is the first thing anyone needs to read in your new book? What's the first sentence, chapter, topic, whatever it is, lesson that (laughs) if they read nothing else, that's what I'm going to say. If they read nothing else, what do they need to read or what do they need to know? Well, if they want to have a lot of fun and get ready for the holidays, I do sort of a satirical poem in the preface, which is based on, you know, the famous Twas the Night Before Christmas poem, but I've inverted it to or adapted it to Twas the Night Before Training. So it talks about kind of the woes that we experience through virtual training and technology when things go wrong. And uh, and it rhymes in that uh, Twas that night, Twas the Night Before language. So I would say that's the first thing in the book that they'll read and hopefully that'll be a great opening um, and fun as well. That sounds so cool. And the book itself sounds fascinating being someone who absolutely loves all things effective <laughs> presentation skill-esque. Right. Next level virtual training is where it's at, especially given all of the transition to online meetings and online conferences and so on and so forth. So congratulations to you on that new book. Thank you, Bridget. Now, in a few minutes, you'll have an opportunity to ask me a question, Diana. My next question for you is this. As a professional speaker who earned both undergraduate and graduate degrees in speech communication, who's coached executives and professionals from all over the world in speaking, and who's competed in speaking events for 10 years, what inspired you most to become a speaker? Well, I think it was this idea of, of, you know, it's always about connection. I really enjoy taking audiences on a journey. So, you know, I like to start where they are, which requires research, as you know, and our listeners know, and then it's about moving them, either persuading them or touching them, right? Or, um, 
motivating them, whatever our goal is as we speak, but it's really building that connection with them and then guiding them on this journey together. We do this together. And I just really enjoy that feeling of camaraderie, collaboration. And of course, you know, when we throw humor in as well, um, that makes it more fun. And, you know, when things go wrong in that presentation setting, I have learned to tell a joke in the moment or, or make light of something. And then we all laugh about it and we forget about it and we move on. So, um, you know, we do it together. So it's really about connection. You're right about that. It has to be a two-way street. It has to be an opportunity for the audience to uh, feel a, a, a rapport created between the two of you. And it's all on the, on, on the speaker to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, you set, yes, you set the tone. You create the energy in the room. You, you just kind of set the stage, if you will. How, how do you do that? I mean, what, what do you do in your presentations that makes the audience feel like they can trust you, that makes the audience feel like you, you are a connection of theirs, you're a colleague of theirs? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of things, you know, one of those things would be obviously building good rapport, right? So being professional, being competent, knowing your topic, being very energetic and passionate about your topic, because if we are passionate, they will be more likely to be passionate about it. And then really involving the audience, because, you know, Bridget, when we think about in the old days, so a couple decades ago, really for public speaking, it was more one way back then or even you can go back hundreds of years or thousands of years. But in today's modern age, our audiences, our modern audiences expect participation. You know, you think about The Voice, the TV show or Survivor or any of those reality TV shows where the audience now is part of that program. They can vote in to have somebody win. They can vote in to have somebody voted off the island. So they expect to participate. So I think all of that too helps to build that connection. We build in those participation opportunities for them really throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not the sit and get experience anymore. anymore. Exactly. That's not what people want. And quite frankly, it seems like that's a really tough job for a speaker to just get up there, drone on. I mean, it sounds like misery. <laughs> yes, right. I mean, everyone would check out right away, too. So I think it's also important, and you know this too, Bridget, and maybe our listeners do too, but really keeping it conversational. So I never abdicate memorizing a speech because we can tell it's not alive anymore, right? So using the words that come to you at the time, you know where you're going, you have an outline, uh, but you're, you're really fresh in the moment using those words that come to you um, at the time. And, and that really keeps it um, conversational. Right. And I like using fantastic graphics. Yeah. And yes. And really minimizing the amount of words, the amount of text that I put on a slide. So it keeps you from feeling like you have to remain married to some kind of a script. Yes, absolutely. And those visuals too, you know, it's important for our listeners to remember that really a visual 
is used when your speech or your presentation calls out for more clarity. That's the good utility of a visual. So it doesn't need a lot of text. In fact, the multimedia research shows that if you just have keywords, as you mentioned, Bridget, and a a visual that illustrates what you were trying to clarify, right, with your audience, that that is actually more effective and more helpful. Yes, completely. Okay, Diana, what is your question for me? Well, I would love to know what's the first thing you think of right before you are about to start a speech. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking of? I am thinking of, I'll tell you exactly what I'm thinking of. I am thinking of the first 10 minutes, the first minutes, but specifically 10 minutes, if I have to put a number on it of my presentation, and here's why. If you nail your opening message, and my opening message is not 10 minutes long, but, you know, just rock with me here. (laughs) If you nail your opening message, if you have it down pat, and you give your audience a reason to immediately lean in, you have them in the palm of your hand and you give them a reason to listen, you give them a reason to lean in, if you immediately solve a mystery, if you immediately answer a question that they have. And so at the start of my presentation or before my presentation, it doesn't matter what presentation it is. It doesn't matter if it's a keynote, a webinar, a workshop, a breakout, a training. It doesn't matter. In person, whatever, on Zoom. I am thinking about those opening words and making sure that I'm stirring emotions, that I'm getting them to want to pay attention, that I'm giving them something that makes them say, oh yeah, this is going to be a good time. That's all I can think about, Diana, is those opening words. That's great. I love that. I mean, that's when I hear you talking, I think hook, that's the hook, right? Yeah. Yeah. Immediately. (laughs) I I, I talk about this in a number of workshops that I do on uh, just how to bring the sizzle in the first words of your message. And it is really making it about the audience where you're pulling them in, pumping them up, passing the mic, then providing information to them. You're pulling them in. You're making it a conversation between them. You're getting them excited about what's to come. And when you hear me speak, and, and thank you for your kind words earlier about having seen me speak and enjoying it, when you see me speak or when you hear me speak doing a workshop or presentation or what have you, you will always hear me say something along the lines of, by the time we're done, and I give you anywhere from three to five things, that's not a good word, but I'm using it now, three to five things that you will know or be able to do by the time I finish. That's how I get you excited. That's how I pump you up. Yeah, absolutely. And then they're like, give it to me. And they're all ears. And when you think about it, when you first start speaking, that's when we have most of their attention because it's brand new. It's novel. They're like, let me see who this person is. They're making a first impression. That's when we have most of their attention anyway. So when you put that hook in there, they're going to stay engaged. Yes. Yes. So it's about getting them sold on you, not in the end, 
toward the middle. It is getting them sold on you immediately. Exactly. So now I'm about, to, I'm, yeah. I'm about to flip the script, Diana, and ask you the exact same question. Before you start a presentation, what are you thinking about? You know, I think a lot of people, when they talk about speech anxiety, the reason they feel that is they're focused on them. So what I like to do, Bridget, is before I, if I'm in an in-room presentation, I go and check out the room preferably the day before. I just get used to the room. I walk into the room and I get a feel for the room and I sit in the very back row and I pretend I'm a learner and I look at that perspective, right? This is the perspective from the person in the back row. And then right before I go on to speak, I remind myself, this is all about them. It's about taking them on a journey. It's not at all about me. For me, that helps me relax. It helps me calm down. It helps put the focus right on the audience. And then I remember that dual perspective. I remember what it's like to sit in the back row and look at the front, right? So I try to always keep that learner perspective and then my presentations perspective in mind at the same time. And it takes practice, but to me, it helps because I'm sitting in the shoes of my audience. I like how you visit the room before your presentation. And like you said, all the better if you can visit the room the day before, because it, it just increases or improves your confidence when it's showtime. You've already been there before. And you walk the room, you walk the stage, you got a feel for the view the audience has, and you got a feel for the view you will have as a speaker. To the listeners, you have heard me say it before, and it's not uh, by coincidence or mistake or anything like that, that you hear Diana saying it, go to that room well before your presentation, because <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, 90% of your nerves, mark it down, okay? This is, pretend it's research-based, it's not. 90% of your nerves, 90% of them are coming from the fact that that is your first time showing up in that room. I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference. Do it for your next presentation, at least an hour or two before the presentation, or if you can, the day before. Go walk that room, do what Diana does, sit in the <laughs> back of the room. That's right. Yeah. And you, you settle in, right? And you get a sense, you can kind of imagine people in there and you get comfortable in the room. It's one less variable, one less unknown variable that you've addressed and settled and put away. And what I like to do too, is really kind of think about the size of the room because we want to leverage the real estate in the room, right? So if you're on a big stage in a really big room, my gestures are going to be bigger. I'm going to be stretching those arms all the way out. I'm going to be moving across the stage for transitional moments versus if I'm in a smaller room, maybe I'm walking down the audience aisle occasionally. Um, maybe I'm my gestures aren't as big because they don't need to be because it's more intimate setting. But you figure all of that out beforehand, right? So that when you're in the moment, you can focus on your message and your audience and those other variables are, are taken care of. Absolutely. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Diana, what have we not touched on that we really need to make sure we explore so that our listeners feel more confident and comfortable with getting on the stage? 
Well, I know, I think it's important for them to realize that, you know, things, it's live, it happens live, so things can go wrong. And what's most important is that you can recover and move on. So Bridget, there was this one time where I was speaking uh, and, you know, we were in a different sort of setting every night. We were, I was speaking every night, but we were traveling and uh, it was like a touring group. And so I had something that I had to present every night. And so because the context and stages were different, you know, you had to kind of adjust. But there was this one little platform where I was standing and and presenting and I walked a little too far to my right and my right foot dropped off the stage. My left foot stayed on, but my right foot dropped off and it shocked me. And I remember thinking, I thought to myself, I just fell off the stage, but my left foot stayed on. It wasn't that deep of a drop. And so I thought, what do I do? And I thought, just keep going. So I, I picked my foot up and I kept talking. Like I didn't, I didn't make any comment about it. I just kept going. And what happened was because it was so smooth and we didn't react to it, the audience didn't react to it. Nobody put it on their evaluations. You know, it was just something where you just keep going. And so you learn how to work through those things that can happen. That is a fantastic story. And I'm, I'm glad you're okay and all of that. <laughs> that is a fantastic story because that's right. You don't call attention to a misstep, no pun intended. Literally, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, or, or a mistake, right? I mean, even if you, let's say, pronounce, incorrectly pronounce a word or your video doesn't play properly anything, just anything that doesn't go according yeah. to plan, don't call attention to it. Because Diana, and I know you'll agree with me on this, there will be people in the audience who didn't even know there was a right. hiccup. That's right. And so you don't call attention to to that at all. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mentioned before earlier about how you can make jokes out of things. And I'm sure, Bridget, you've done this and maybe our listeners have done this, too. But I was in Alaska with my husband. He was the one presenting, actually. And he got so ill that he lost his voice. And so we arrived at the client site and I said, well, I can open for you while they tried to get him a microphone. And apparently the microphone was attached to a lectern. And so it had to take a while for it to get there. And so I said, well, I'll just open for you. And then by the time maybe the lectern gets here, you can, you can take it from there. It was, it was like a workshop presentation. And so here's all these Alaskans. And I thought, oh, you know, obviously they're going to be like, where, where is he? Uh, So I thought, well, what joke can I open up with? So I started out, you know, something you have to know about Alaskans is they're very cognizant of the fact that other visitors are scared of all the bears that are around them in Alaska, but Alaskans are obviously very comfortable with bears because they live very closely with them and they kind of, you know, are proud of that fact. So I said something like, um, it was great to be here. Welcome everybody. And, uh, you know, we went to enjoy a nature hike the other day and we ran into a bear and it scared the voice right out of my husband. And Mm -hmm. so I'm opening for you today. And they laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And it was because it was customized humor for them. And I came home and I told my, my mother that story. And she said to me, that isn't funny. Like she didn't think (laughs) it was funny at all. But I said, well, if you were Alaskan, it is funny. So, you know, we were just able to work through that situation too. So humor can be a a great way to kind of heal things over. Completely. I think about 
presenting at a conference in Orlando in May of 2022. Oh, yeah. yeah, Where could that have been? And it was... (laughs) It was a presentation on presentation skills. And Diana, I had a problem with my microphone. That oh, right. At some point, it just conked out on me. And it was really funny. I don't remember exactly how we handled it. Uh, you know, I was making facial expressions as the AV gentleman <laughs> was behind. Like, I put the little pack if you will behind me as opposed to in front so he's behind me tinkering with it and I'm making these facial expressions like ooh, what's he doing back there but I keep the show going yes keep the show going and and I'm just you know I get the handheld and I don't know something's wrong with it and we just kept the show going and it was an unintended lesson again it was a session on presentation skills but it was an unintended lesson of like you said you keep the show going and 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 make a joke out of it or whatever's most comfortable for you in order to just kind of minimize the disruption as best you can and you know what was so beautiful about that Bridget is your presentation was on presentation skills I bet they learned a ton just watching how do you keep something going how do you adapt when your microphone isn't working, that was probably a golden nugget for them, right? As an audience member. And I, I'm thinking of another time too, where I was invited to be the sort of the keynote presenter, but the person organizing the room didn't organize it soon enough and all the rooms were taken. So this presentation of about 60 people in the audience, six zero was actually ended up being held in a lobby. And at first I thought a lobby, how are we going to make this work? And once again, I thought, well, let's open with a joke. How can we distract people? We'll laugh about it. We'll move on. So I think I opened with something like, well, I see our meeting spaces are getting smaller and smaller. So next month, look for looking forward to seeing you in the elevator, you know, and they laughed <laughs> like, oh, we're in the lobby. But what happened is they laughed and they forgot we were in a lobby and I forgot we were in a lobby and we moved on. And that speech I was told had a lot of buzz for a long time after that, right? So we, um, we didn't, we didn't play the victim. We just, we work with what you get and you do the best you can and you keep moving forward. Yeah. And it works out. I like that. Don't play the victim. Uh, if I could yell that from the rooftops, I mean, (laughs) that is so apropos in so many areas of life. Yeah. But especially as a speaker, because you're up there setting a tone. We talked about that a little earlier and the audience is going to follow your lead. Mm -hmm. And oh my goodness, if like you said, you work with what you've got and keep it moving, you're a rock star. Absolutely. And I'm thinking of a different time, Bridget, when I was in San Antonio, Texas too, and I was talking about presentation skills and I watched the opening presenter who was ever, the audience had already checked out. Like I could tell they were checked out. And I thought to myself, I am going to make this work. I'm 110% committed to making this work. And I, I got up there and they were really far away from me. And I said, would you, would you folks be willing to move forward, come forward to the tables more in front? And they said, no, no, we don't want to move. And I said, well, would you be willing to like slide your chairs in? And I moved in toward them and they, they said, sure. And then I just was like, we are going to make this work. And like I said, I was 110 committed 
And um, we worked through lots of obstacles that day, but I tell you what, at the end of that day, they gave a standing ovation. So it, it goes to, to show that when you are committed and like you said, Bridget, we don't play the victim. We just figure out how am I going to make this work? And, and then that's when it does. Beautiful, beautiful. I think I put out there that we were going to cover maybe one more thing that listeners needed to know. I think we may have hit on five or more. So this is great. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. This has been a fantastic conversation. Something tells me you and I could go on and on and on. <laughs> the listeners, make sure you go out there and get a copy of Diana's new book, Next Level Virtual Training, Advance Your Facilitation. And don't let that title stop you. Because I know you may say, well, I don't do virtual trainings. Uh Uh-uh, let me tell you something. If you do presentations anywhere, virtually or in person, you will learn from this book. So go get your copy available on Amazon. Diana Howells, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Bridget. And thank you to the listeners. Really appreciate you tuning in. My name is Bridget McGowan. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone. Mm-hmm.